Okay, so it is Sunday, May 10th, 2020, and this is the Cheap Flight Podcast. And by the way, I want to say up the top, if you're enjoying this podcast, please remember to subscribe um, so that you can be alerted to new episodes as they come out. I am with Rai Rai, my friend. Hey, I am here. And happy so to be here. So good to connect with you on Mother's Day, no less. Is it Mother's Day in Canada? It is uh, Canadian Mother's Day. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, cel- we celebrated a bit different. We let mom sleep all day. Okay. Yeah. It's so, nice. Ryan, I, I I didn't tell you this ahead of time, but I'm going to uh, open up a can of Third Space Brewing Upward Spiral here. It's an India Pale Ale. Wow. Uh, so, I love so India. I love India Pale Ales. I am I a member at Third Space Brewing, which is about a probably 30 minute walk, maybe 20 minute walk from where I live. Okay. So I'm pouring it now. <laughs> unless, you, unless, you, unless you consume it there and then it's a 45 minute walk back home. It, well, no, it's more like a two hour crawl, but, well, uh, <laughs> okay. This is not a hazy, so I can see through it. I can still see the city of Milwaukee through it. Um, nice. let me give you a quick tasting note here. Okay. Oh, now I can, that is now, solid. Now I can see Milwaukee. <laughs> I'm living I'm living vicariously through you right now. It's great. I love it. Oh, that's a solid IPA. Uh, our so Stephanie and I, our favorite, one of our uh, pretty much our favorite IPA in all of Milwaukee comes from Third Space. It's called Happy Place. But I decided to try the Upward Spiral today, and it is. I, I am not um, sorry that I did that. So Happy Mother's Day to us. <clears throat> Absolutely. And so a couple of weeks ago, we talked with Mr. Jeff Lafferett and how you met him. Last week, we talked to Derek because that seemed like a, you know, obviously a natural sort of progression. Um, yeah, we, we had a lively conversation with Derek uh, last week. That was great. It was and really the funny good. thing was Derek was like, I'm a little tired and a little groggy. I don't know if I'm going to, you know, <laughs> be able to, to live up to the expectation. And then he came in hot, man. He was, he was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was a. Yeah, it was a great conversation and he brought back so many memories, you know, things that and, and you know, your conversation with him brought back so many things um, from that oh, early yeah. 90s yeah, sort of phase yeah. for us. So, Well, it's, it's interesting, too, because that early 90s phase in the scene that was happening, certainly around the Motor City and the area, it's it's almost an anomaly. It's kind of like when you watch a movie and there's like a you know, a, an eclipse or something and, and something happens. There was something happening in the mid nineties where uh, you were allowed to be more free with lyrical content and musical, you know, approaches and that kind of stuff. It lasted for a couple of years and then it went away, but uh, we were kind of 95 was kind of like the, the, the middle of all that creativity I found. Yeah. I would uh, agree with that. There was a scene. There were people that were supportive. There was there was stuff that was uh, out there like what you were doing, or like you know that like a Stavesacre or somebody like that, where you could go and do yeah. shows with different people uh, that ha- that had the same approach that you did and the same approach Leader Dogs had, and uh, that was a real really great time to be kind of in that scene. You know, I totally agree. And something that comes to mind for me is, so up until 91, Mm -hmm. I lived in central Illinois. And so my, my channel to the world in terms of music was pretty much local radio. And 89, 90, you know, there was some, 
most of the music that was coming out on the radio still followed a, a an, an ever so like an increasing um fixture to a formula so right right with metal in particular you had to look a certain way you had to play um about 60 miles per hour on guitar solos yep you had to wear spandex you had to have hairspray um (laughs) in pop music it was getting it was starting to get muddy because it was it they were introducing complexity because early 80s was just a synthesizer and a dr- and a drum machine and yep. vocals. Yep. And then as the eighties progressed, there was some really great music, but it started to get just sort of convoluted and, and, and uninteresting. And then all of a sudden, and I remember that where I was the day that I heard this for the first time, but a song came on the radio that was so far from the recipe mm-hmm. that you realized like something's different, something's, something's changed, like something's different. And it was, um, smells like teen spirit, you know, oh, for yes. me. Yep. And I remember the first time I heard that song too. And I went, what is this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you know what? It, I, I always contrast it, I contrast it. You also had smells like teen spirit, which, you know, brought in, uh, the Seattle scene brought in uh Soundgarden and, you know, ushered in a lot of Temple of the Dog and a lot of stuff that came through that pipeline. But it, it, almost in line with what you're saying, uh, U2 released uh, Actum Baby, right? Right in that, in that same time. And that was a, a, you were saying like in the eighties, there was a lot of like, sounded like copycat type stuff that was starting to happen. You know, Hey, what, what it was a hit in the early eighties, we're going to re- rehash it. And there was this, uh, thing where people were saying, look, the Joshua Tree is a great album. Just put out another Joshua Tree. It'll be great. And uh, and the band came out with Octung Baby and went to went to uh, Germany and recorded that thing. And then yeah. I, I remember sitting in the car going, I don't know if I'm the fly. The fly was the first thing. Yep. And yep. I remember sitting in the car going, this isn't my U2. <laughs> oh, it was so different. It I remember that. It was so man. different. Yeah. I and, like, and I don't I, know if I'm going to go on this ride. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. And I have since gone back, of course, um, because yeah. of how influential U2 has been in, in, for me personally yeah, and, yeah. and the edge and his influence on me as a writer, oh, Bono, yeah. his influence on me as a lyricist. Yeah. Um, and their total influence as a package, it is Bono in particular, but really the whole band in, mm-hmm how to be a normal human being who happens to have some spirituality, but doesn't right. have to follow these, throat. <laughs> all these rules and, yeah, and, yeah. and, and stick to some sort of like, well, we have to play in only certain venues and we can yep. only say certain things in our lyrics. Like they, they, and I'm going to so smoke on stage. I'm going to smoke on stage just because. Yeah. So, so, so very influential. And, and they were almost the inverse of what we were or what I was. And sure, by yeah. that, I mean, yep. they were people, they were musicians and artists first who decided we can, you know, we can be followers of Jesus Christ. Yep. Whereas I grew up in the church and was a follower of Jesus Christ and couldn't, and, and had to, to like uh, beg to get into real yeah. art. 
yep. rock and roll. Um, yep. Exactly. So they 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 could have easily not been that. In fact, they it would have been way easier for them to just be not spiritual or at least not to portray that in any yeah. way. But but yeah, I really I, I really when you when you mentioned "Smells Like Teen Spirit," I remember I remember listening to both those two songs, "The Fly" by U two and "Smells Like Teen Spirit" right around the same time, and I remember sitting there going. Am I am I mature enough to handle this? Like, am I is yeah. this is it? Is, am I missing something? Am I like? Can I go on this trip? Can I go on this ride? And and I remember the night I went. Yeah, I'm I'm in both. I'm there. Yeah, yeah and I, you know, I remember when you two first came out with you know their quote unquote new sound. Wasn't that more like ninety one? Because they yeah. they went kind of on a hiatus in eighty eight eighty nine. Yep, they did. And. I think initially, I mean, at the time I was really starting to get into kind of an electronic tip. I was already there early eighties because I was into like a British synthesizer pop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when they married that to rock and roll, that's, they were one of the first for me to do a cool job of bringing electronics and this eclectic organic sound together. Yeah. Now I had the same reaction as you because there is nothing like Joshua Tree, and which was the <laughs> pinnacle of that sound. Yeah, their exactly. sound from the eighties. Yep. And so when they launched into their sound in the nineties, it was just not. Uh, it didn't sound like the same band. And they rebelled, right? They were like, "We, you know, you want us to be, you know, you want me to play Jesus? You want me to be the Messiah?" You want uh, me to? You want me to do Joshua Tree too? Yes. And it was like, if I do Joshua Tree too, and I can tell you right now, because we go to those '80s, uh, you know, reunions in the summer. Uh, I've seen ABC. ABC's amazing, but I've seen a ton of the '80s bands over the last, say, five six years. And if you two had just done Joshua Tree too, they would be on one of those tours. They would yeah. be on one of those nostalgia tours. Like every every song starts with, "Hey, you might remember this one," and uh, you know, like. Those they would have been in that same vein of well, you remember when eighty two when the, the U two was was really hot, and also I remember that from that time how many of my friends fell away from the U two camp because of Octoon Baby. They were like, nope, oh, yeah. nope, this is it's not clear. They're talking in in abstract, and I don't know if I can follow them. And I was like, I don't care because I love this record, and I'm not sure oh, why. My I gosh, love it. I don't even know why I love this record, but I love this record more. And now it's a, it's a classic record, but that record was so jarring in 91. Like it was, Oh, it certainly was. And you know, I, and and this is skipping forward and so this is just a a quick side note, but I remember hearing discotheque for the first time on the radio. Yes. Yeah. And I was like, Oh my gosh, they wrote the song that I want to be playing right now. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh man. And the remixes, they started, the, the remixes started with, uh, with the Octoon Baby, like when they started putting out a remix, yes. every every single had like five or six remixes by the best DJs in the world, and then of course that amped up with uh, with pop for sure. And you know what's interesting is <laughs> they mature. We we probably could do several episodes just on YouTube alone, but <laughs> you know they they matured through to Joshua Tree. So Joshua Tree for most people is. U2, like 80s. Right, yes. You don't hear people even hardly saying the names of the titles of the albums of, no. of, of the like four or five albums they had before that. Yeah. But I imagine that by the time they launched Joshua Tree and then toured it, they were probably like 
tired of that, of, of the formula, yes. you know, yep. it, where most of, especially in America, but most of the world was just, just, just now finding out about you two and they love this sound. Mm -hmm. It's still one of the most, uh, like the top selling records in the world and also top selling records on college charts. Yeah. Um, but you know, they matured into that. So they were like 10, 11 years into the, into it. Mm -hmm. And for us, most of us, like, I think I first heard about them probably was like MTV and it was probably 87 ish and pride in the name of love and, you know, which was unforgettable fire. <clears throat> and then yep. they come out with Joshua tree and that record changed my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Mine it, too. it, it's, and it, and it still does. I listen to it to this day. There's not a ton of records I listened to from the eighties from track one to track 10 or 11. Yeah. And that's one that I will. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, I had the privilege to go see twice. Oh, I was going to say, did you um, see, you saw it live, right? Yep. Oh. The reunion tour, which oh, was, we, we, we were the no, we, we were, we were, we were like five rows from the very back of the of Ford field, 80,000 people. And I was so happy because I could see the entire screen. I said, Wait a minute. I said, if I was close, I would only get a bit of this, but I watched the whole movie from start to finish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, the horns and the, Oh man. That Honestly, that unreal. was probably the best tour to be, yeah, to, to be, be far away yeah, from. Yeah, because other, <laughs> other other shows I've been up close. Yeah, uh, three sixty. I was I was pretty much right down front, but I was I really kicked myself because I I just wanted cheap seats. Uh, sometimes I just want to be in the room, and yeah. uh, that that was one where I was like, I looked where our seats were, and I was like, man, we are in the very back. And it wasn't until I sat down that I went, oh, this is this is the, this is I'm watching this movie unfold. And yeah. remember, remember the Salvation Army horns? Oh my gosh! And they backed that was the screen emotional. Backed it, backed it slowly until you saw the full band. That um, was so emotional, freaking believable. Yeah, it was unbelievable. unbelievable. I mean, that collage of film art and music art was yeah so yeah. well done. Yeah. I so I I got to see them in Chicago, and I had the equivalent of nosebleed. We were way up in uh, Soldier Field. Oh yeah. The, yep. the the cool thing about that though was I can't remember. If, so not far from Soldier Field is uh, the Navy Pier, mm -hmm. and they they sh on Wednesdays and Saturdays they shoot off fireworks. I can't remember if we were there. On, I think we were probably there on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so. U2 is doing their set and just above the video screen in the distance, these fireworks are going off and it was like, <laughs> can this Perfect. get any better? And then about a month later, um, went to Indianapolis and had the opposite, um, experience where we were actually a lot closer. Mm -hmm. Um, now in Chicago, Lumineers opened for them, which I, I appreciate them, but I, I'm, it, I feel I, I feel sorry for any band that ever has to open for you too. Oh, for sure. I've seen However, I've seen Gavin Rossdale open for them. I've seen uh, Garbage open for them, and I still felt sorry for them. And I wanted to see Garbage. <laughs> oh, I, 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 yeah, absolutely. So, however, when we when I saw them in um, indie, yeah, Beck. Oh yeah, Beck Beck opened the <laughs> Beck opened the Detroit show. Beck opened the Detroit show is unbelievable. I. I already respected Beck so much. And Patty Smith showed up. That was that was a Detroit thing. 
Oh, that's awesome. Patty Smith joined the joined the band on stage and joined, I think, back at some point too. Wow. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, the difference. Yeah, Luminaires are great, but the difference between them and Beck, uh, yeah, no. No. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had, to, when I, I, had to, I had to make a promise to Janice that we would never stand through a U2 show again. So that was that's why we had the nosebleeds too. I just had to I did promise her that we would have seats because you know the four hour the four hour three sixty extravaganza. I mean, I was feeling it by the end for sure. I was feeling oh, it by, sure. the, by the middle, but yeah. So and I saw I took the whole family up to Chicago to see them with the three sixty tour, wow. and that was kind of a, a a celebration. Like I did that for myself to celebrate, like graduating finally with my bachelor, and yes. yep. went to see them. I was. Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. However, I wished that I could have seen the leg of the show where Muse opened for them because we had wow. uh, the Arctic uh, Arctic oh. Monkeys. Yeah. No, yeah. no, 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 not Arctic. Monkeys. Oh no, was, no. Who was it was it? another band from Ireland. Um, oh, this is terrible. And they're good. They're yeah. really good. But I love Muse. I would have yeah. loved to have seen yeah. them live. Yeah. But anyway, I like I said, in Indy, I uh I had already a built-in respect for Beck. I used to love yeah. Yeah. Beck in the mid-90s when he was doing his like so like abstract art type of mm-hmm. songs. But to see him live on stage with the best musicians in the world, I I was uh, jaw drop. I mean, I, and then, and then for you two to come out, which by the way, there is no, uh, I, I, there, there is no experience of church <laughs> yes. that is better than when you two, especially are doing songs from Joshua tree where yeah, streets have yeah. no name. Yeah. You know, when they cut into that, it's, I, when, I when Bono swinging from a, a lighted mic. Yes, there's, there's nothing like that. And the thing is, to YouTube for the for the throngs that are listening today, uh, if you <laughs> if you have not gone to see a YouTube show when everything gets back to normal and they announce tour dates, you gotta go. You have to see that band at least once. I think I've I think I'm on my sixth. The Joshua Tree was the sixth time I'd seen them. Every yeah. show is different. Every stage is different. But the the thing you're never prepared for is the crowd reaction when they step on stage. Like yes. it is like it's like Beatlemania, but where you can actually hear the band. But there's such a like I think people stand through the entire show, and they even stand if seats. so many generations. You'll see fans, oh, yeah. Yeah. like hardcore fans who are 18 yeah. and 70. Yeah, yeah, it, it is the most cross generational show I've ever been to, uh, and it works. They do a such a good job, all races, everything, and they they tear it up. They absolutely tear it up. Yeah. But the but the absolute awe of the crowd as soon as they walk on stage, as soon as as soon as one of them is seen, the entire crowd just loses it. Like <laughs> like, like like we're like we're 14 year old girls seeing Rick Springfield or something like that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I I I have felt that 14 year old girlness about <laughs> exactly. uh only three or four times in my my lifetime of unfortunately. But uh-huh. um who knows if we'll you know, get to see them again. But and if you see, and you're seeing a band that can afford to do a stage like they do every single time is is, is something worth seeing as well. It's nuts. And, but if they had done Joshua Tree two, you wouldn't have. They wouldn't be there. They would not be on this no. platform. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Let's uh, let's just take a quick break for our sponsor, and we'll be right back. 
All right, well, I am back with Rai Rai, and this is Mother's Day in America. And from what I understand from Rai Rai, it's also Mother's Day in Canada. It but is. Rai Rai, I think we need to talk about the definition of throng because you said the throngs of people oh, that listen to this. The score. Um, yeah. Okay. Score. Oh, that's better. That's better. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, we actually originally, um, I mean, we just did a whole, uh, section on YouTube, which by the way, we should just do more of that in the future because <laughs> you know, I could talk about YouTube. I, I could do a podcast on just YouTube. I mean, I'm sure there's hey, loads do, of them out there. Do you want to hear um, Sorry, go ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. Do you want to hear the third component in that equation? So we mentioned smell, you start with smells like teen spirit and mm-hmm. what that, what that meant. And then Octung Baby and what that meant and how they were able to, to turn that around. Uh, but then the third one for me was against the law. Because as oh. you said, in the 90s, yeah, yeah. in the 80s, it was the hairspray. It was the look. It was the whole thing. And then Striper came out with Against the Law. Yeah. And there are two situations, I think, the two artists that have that have apologized for projects, and they still to, do to this day, and I think they shouldn't. The first is U2, Rattle and Hum. Love Rattle and Hum. Great Oh, record. my gosh. I, they, I love They really need record. to stop apologizing for that because it was great. Love and that Against project. the Law. I hate every time Striper apologizes for Against the Law, I'm like, dude, that record that record was amazing. It's still, it's it was still so amazing. good. And by the way, the, I always, I, 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 we could just do it. In fact, let's do an episode on Striper in the future. Let's oh, just absolutely. say that we're going to yeah. do that. Yeah. But I will tell you my style. Oh, as, as you can see from some of the solo work I'm doing right now, my style of, of, uh, of guitar playing in particular early on was informed by the blues. Yeah. And when they came out with, um, against the law. I don't know if Oz Fox was just listening to a lot of blues or if they just, he just finally said, Hey, I'm just going to do this on this wreck. I don't know what it was, but it was so much more bluesy Agreed. that I, and, and I always, you know, their, their, their production and, and the integrity of their music was always top notch. But when that one came out, that one was a game changer for me. Me too. Yeah. Now, I was I was a fan from probably day two, probably not from day one, but from day two. But then the when the Against the Law project came out, it, it, it's the same way. It's like they, they what happened. And again, they've I, it's not something they haven't talked about. When Tell with the Devil came out, they were under pressure to put out Tell with the Devil too. And so there's a lot of beats that were kind of repeated in, again, God We Trust that followed through from, you know, here's where the ballad's going to go. Here's where this is going to hit and that kind of stuff. I still like in God we trust, but they, they, you know, years later said, yeah, we were under a lot of pressure. Like you've sold a ton. So let's sell some more. And yeah. when they did against the law, they, they drew a line. Right. Yeah. Again, it's, it's formula breaking. Yeah. I think that's yeah. the, the yeah. thing. So let me so explain yeah, the, to you. The blues, the blues was definitely a part of that record. I, I hadn't really, drawn uh, notice to that but you're right the blues are very much a part of against the law yeah especially like if you just listen to the solo work especially oz's stuff it's very um it's 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 just all pentatonic scale based you know and, and they have a fair amount of that in their other records that preceded that but they also did more rigid sort of metal scales yes. but when they got to against the law it was just a little bit more 
it was a rock album. <laughs> a slight groove. Yeah, you're right. There was rock yeah. there, and there and the solos just felt bluesier to me. They yeah. for the first time they were solos that I felt like, ooh, I need to sit down and like like play like this. I I, I never really aspired to learn other people's um, stuff, but right. Yeah. But was, uh, you know what it was? There was a swagger to it. The same, that's it. That's the same it. swagger that Bono had with Octung Baby, where he's walking across across the stage and and like here we are. Uh, I found Striper did that from the opening note of Against the Law, where it was almost like it was a new band. Where it was like, you know, we don't we don't live for you because we're against your law. I was like, oh, that's a good lyric. You know, it was Against the Law, wasn't it? Against the Law that was pulled off the shelves in Christian bookstores. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So let's talk about that just for a quick second. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'll always talk about that. <laughs> okay. So I, when we started putting together the uh, the lyrics and the, the the songs for Lemonade, yep, we decided to do a song called Yellow and Black Attack. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now we had decided on titles before we had. Uh, you know, written even what the themes were. As I was writing that song, my, the, what kept coming to me was how the, like basically the Christian quote unquote industry turned their backs on Striper. Yep. Absolutely. And which is antithetical. It's, it's so against, if, if you read the red letters in the new Testament, it is so, antithetical it's like not in line with with the spirit of of the new testament so i wrote yellow and black attack and if you go back and read those lyrics as kind of a protest to christians protesting (laughs) and 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 walking away from and and not just walking away from but just like dropping them cold yeah well, the fir- and the first time I saw the back of your album, or the Leader Dogs album, that was the first thing I noticed. They got a song called The Yellow and Black Attack. I, I got to find out what this is about. Yeah. Absolutely. So as a, as a Striper fan, and I and again, knowing what had happened in the four years previously of the, you know, get out of our face, we don't want you anymore. We love you today, but we hate you tomorrow. Uh, that certainly got my attention. And I, I was already drawn into the music, but I wanted to know lyrically what was going on in a song called The Yellow and Black Attack. So. Yeah, and that was that that theme basically was from Against the Law. That yeah. that's exactly it. I I was frankly I was pissed off with how yeah. Christianity treated the you know the this band who, by the way, probably kept the lights on sometimes for some of those Christian bookstores for years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then for them to say, oh it looks to me like you guys are sinning and you're doing a, a song, like a cover song of, um, wasn't it shining star? Yeah. You're a shining of, star. Uh, Earth, Earth, wind and fire. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so they're like, Oh, we can't put this on our shelves. And, yeah. I, and, and, but not, not just, we can't put this on our shelves, but also we don't, we're, we're not going to reach out and help the band like that. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I, I, I was, I was angry. And oh, so I did the rock and roll thing, which is basically speak out against institutionalism and, and so on. And and I wrote that song. Mm-hmm. They probably don't know that. They probably never will. But that's that's really where that song came from. So it's fascinating that we got to that topic because I don't know. That's, that's pretty wild. 
That's pretty yeah. wild. From like from a musical standpoint, I remember the early '90s by those three songs or by those by those three records as as who am I going to be in the next decade? Yeah, or, who am I going to be from now on? Lyrically, Striper did such a a shift, you know, to some really deep stuff. Not that their stuff wasn't deep before, but it was breaking away from a formula uh, and saying, we're going to try this and we don't know if you're going to go along with us. And obviously, you know, it caused a lot of problems for them in the upcoming years as far as getting tours and all that kind of stuff. But they were like, here's the line. I'm going to draw it. And there's so many artists, even again, I'm always thinking from kind of the business management side of things. That's why I don't like when artists apologize for projects that they've done. Uh, one of the key in recent years, uh, there were two actually, um, both uh, Duran Duran and uh, Chris Cornell worked with Timberland. And those are the projects that people go, oh, that's the worst thing that, that those bands ever did. And I'm like, Chris Cornell took a risk and he put out a great record with Timberland, as did as did uh, Duran Duran. But it's not giving us what we want. Right. This is what sure. we, the, the public in many ways goes. This is who we think you are. And if you don't give us that, then we're not going to support you anymore. So, I mean, I think it's, it, it certainly is indicative of what the church did to Striper for sure. But I think on a larger scale, sometimes audiences can be that way. It's like, well, give us what we want or we're, or we're done with you. Yeah. And, and I think being an, a true artist is all about experimentation. It's all about trying a acting so, baby. Okay. So I'm glad you said that because... Mm -hmm. What I want to say, you, you, so you're saying against the law was kind of your, like a, 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 a marker for you. Uh, so yes. here's, here's a marker for me that I had no idea how significant it would be until years later. But in 1989, I was with a Christian band in central Illinois called Lawman. Okay. And we uh, were invited to open a show at a local church called, it was an Assembly of God church in Pekin, Illinois, with, uh, and we were opening for the band Guardian. Okay. Yep. Now, Guardian, <clears throat> most people know Guardian with the lead singer as, as J.R. Rowe. Right. But, but when they first came out, they had a singer, Paul Colley. Paul Colley, that's right. Yeah. First. And one. yeah. And, and I liked both singers, not unlike Van Halen. If you know, yeah. yeah. Different singers brought a different era to the band. I loved the Paul Colley era and I, and there's things I loved about the J.R. Rowe era. Sure. Yeah. But I loved the Paul Colley era because, um, oh, is it Tony, Tony Palacio, the yes. guitarist? The guitar. Yeah. Oh my gosh. When I heard him play, first of all, he was the first uh, quote-unquote Christian guitarist. He's just a guitarist who yeah. was in a Christian band. But he was the first guitarist on a record that was labeled Christian that was so tasty. And, and, and you know, this is, this, is, this is like considering Striper, too. Like, I'm not I, – sure, and yeah. by the way, there, there, there are no slackers on the six string. But I'm just saying, like, Tony – brought a different yeah something to the he was the steve Vai of christian rock Christian yeah, music. there was a there was a craftsmanship to what he does oh it, yeah. it, it was it was very different yeah. and so he didn't, he didn't just play guitar he like he he played guitar like it was it was he, what he did 
Yeah, it was an extension of him. Yeah. And there was so much feeling. And, and so we had, I don't know how we, I don't know how this happened, but we got to open for Guardian. And I remember after the show, I'm talking to Paul Colley. And I remember, and we were in the sanctuary still, the lights are on and the, you know, you know, and there's people all around, but he said, Hey, uh, have you heard of this band called King's X? And I was like, no. <laughs> wow. He said, he said, first of all, you know, you will. And he said, you need to check them out. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So I remember I, and I think it might've been a couple months later. I, I had a friend in, in town who basically every time a record came out, if, if it was a Christian label record, and especially if it was close to metal, he, he got it. And I listened to out of the silent planet. And I remember thinking, you know, this is cool, but I'm mm -hmm. used to huge, uh, <laughs> saturated guitars, you know, yes. Like, you know, and, and so I'm like, this is, you know, this is different. Um, but it, it stood out to me, but it didn't like, I was thinking like, like in terms of like guitar, it, I was just, I was foolish. I was ignorant. And I, and I was like, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Then I, a couple years later, I got married. I moved to, uh, Flint, Michigan. A bunch of other people were like, Hey, we're going to go down to, uh, the riff down in um, Detroit and watch this <laughs> band called, yep. In Roseville and watch this band called um, Kings X. And I was like, cool, I'm in. And by the way, they had a opening act called the Eric Gales band, which I was oh, like, Oh, yeah. that yeah. first record. <laughs> yeah. I, that, that's my, experience is in my top five in terms of like going to live shows. Now, first of all, it's partly because it's the first time I went to probably to a bar to see a show. Yes. Yeah. Right. I remember that. That was the yeah. first bar. I ever went. That's the first bar I ever saw a band in. Yeah. It was, was uh, in Roseville and you, so that would have been probably the Gretchen tour if I'm not mistaken. Yep. I did. Yep. I didn't, it was. I didn't see him. I didn't see him live until the self-titled. So I missed out on, on a couple, mm -hmm. at least two, two or three shows in Detroit there. But you saw the Air Gale show. That's a legendary. Double oh, my ball. gosh. I had no idea what we were getting into. Yeah. The Air Gale's band with Eric, you know, on guitar. And then his brother was playing his bass brother. and singing. Yeah. Yep. I wish they would do more records like that. But that that was a game changer. And yep. then King's X comes on the, 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 the stage. Now, by this time... It's 1991. I've probably been playing guitar four or five years, but I've I've been involved with like some recordings, and um, I, I had been in three or four different bands, and we had a fair amount of notoriety in the sort of the central Illinois area, and so I kind of felt you know like I was becoming accomplished. I didn't feel like I wasn't like a cocky rock star or anything, but I just like thought you know I kind of. I'm starting to figure this thing out and I, and I know where I want to go. And then I yeah. see Ty Tabor and <laughs> the only two things I wanted to do while I was watching Ty Tabor was, um, either quit guitar altogether <laughs> yep, or go home and practice just for the next several weeks straight. I mean, uh -huh. yeah. 
And I had every, exactly the same reaction. I said exactly the same thing that uh, I either want to go home and pick up my guitar again, or I'll never pick it up ever again. Ever again. He breaking my heart. I mean, he did, dude. I don't know if he, the first time I saw him, he broke into uh, "Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow" in the middle of his his uh, uh, jam, and it was like I'm again like a U two show. I'm I'm in church, and I'm on the floor. I'm just like, oh man. And then probably there's people in this room that recognize that tune, but don't know from where. But that's it was so subtle. It wasn't it wasn't like I'm gonna do this song now, and you'll recognize it from church. It was like. I'm just going to drop a couple uh, bars from this song in there. And those of you that are, you know, that that remember it from when you were kids, it'll stand out. But they didn't. It wasn't a show. It wasn't a, you know, it, it was it was so subtle and so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think part of it was, again, for me, was that I'm I'm fi- like I'm finally of the age where I can independently go to a club and watch a show. Yeah. So I, I, I don't want to like over credit the, the music, but how can no, you over credit Eric Gale's band and King's X, especially well, it's kind in of their funny. prime? It coincided with, it's coincided with both of us becoming adults, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, that sense of I, it's okay that I'm in a bar. I'm, yep. I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm old enough to be here. I'm accountable, uh, but I can be in a smoky bar and, and enjoy this. Yeah. And I could have Which, not gone here. Out of, yeah. out of whatever conviction I thought I had could have kept me from even going to this show. Yeah. Cause even in my teen age years, when I was um, going to shows, but like not telling my parents, it, right. it, it could never have been a bar. Right. And, <laughs> and there is definitely something different. Like I went to, I, I remember going, you know, I, I, th- I went, I went with some friends down to St. Louis to see, to see shows, but they were big, big concert shows. Right. Yeah. Um, Outdoor venues. And, yeah. yeah. But when you go to a club to see a band that really deserves to be in a club, and I'm, and I don't mean that, I mean, I, I mean that in the best way, like King's X sound is so good in a club. And <laughs> well, when I go to, and when I go see King's X, I actually, this is the only time in my life that I actually missed the smoke. Uh, <laughs> it was so, it was so much a part of my, my early experiences with them that it's just weird that nobody's smoking around me. And I almost, I almost miss it. Oh my gosh. And for three human beings to project that much sound <laughs> into a yeah. room. Yeah. I mean, especially when they, when they're all three singing, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, yeah. it's, I, anyway, yeah, that I experience, <laughs> um, is fixed in, in, in my, it's, it, it became a part of my DNA basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Ty Tabor, took the place of the edge for a number of years in terms of being my, um, like the, the guitarist I aspired to be all of a sudden, everything I wrote was in drop D because everything they did was in drop D (laughs) and the, even the way they wrote their lyrics, which were colorful and poetic and interesting. And, and by the way, when I remember being at that show, um, I was there with Grant and Dwight and, um, because they were cousins to Michelle, who I was married to. And mm. then they had their bassist, Andy Bransick, there. And right. I, and I don't think I knew Andy before. That might have been when I met him. Sure. And anyway, we were talking about bands and rock and roll. And he said, hey, have you heard of, you know, Bad Motorfinger? And I was like, no, I don't even know what that <laughs> is. Nope. And so that, you know, again, changed my life. I mean, all of a sudden... 
I was broken out of, to bring this full circle, going, basically only hearing music through the filters of people who were making decisions in central Illinois to put up, you know, music on the radio. Yeah. Which thankfully finally started to include things like Nirvana because they couldn't not put that on there. Yep. And, and then moving to um, Michigan, going to Detroit and now going to a club and hearing a band live, like, well, Eric Gales is no, you know, it, 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 yeah, in yeah, itself yeah. would have been a great show. You know, no himself, absolutely. Yeah. But then to hear King's X in a club, um, that, that experience shaped my, yep. my, musician light my like my creative life more than i even thought at the time which is hilarious because paul cowley led you to king's x which led you to find where you wanted to go musically i met grant and dwight in 93 at a king's x show which led me to getting to know them which led me to them giving me your contract which led us to work together which again it's kind of funny to watch this puzzle fit itself together as I'm going, okay, there's no random, there's no random meetings here. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. You know, like all these things kind of converged. I honestly don't think we would have done our radio show, the true groove if there hadn't been King's X. Cause that's amazing. If if, if I only had to pick one band that would represent our our radio show, it would have been that one. And I think without them, I don't think we even would have even had the the guts to get (laughs) out there and do it. So well, what's fascinating, which is is not atypical for our conversations, right? Right, yeah. is that yeah. we're we're forty minutes in and we haven't even gotten to what <laughs> you and I had discussed that we would talk about, which I love. I well, love it because there's there's always next Sunday. Well, true, and and this leads us into perfectly into yeah. that era because again, it's that it's that early '90s and it's the Grant and Dwight connection and and these bands and these shows, mm-hmm. um, and and. There's no doubt in my mind that in the early 90s, we were at the same shows together. We just didn't know it. (laughs) (laughs) I guarantee we were. Yeah. I guarantee we were. Yeah. But this is a good segue. This is a good segue for next week. Um, But uh, this has been a good conversation. And I'm glad we allow ourselves to go with the flow because, again, these are all amazing connections. So, Absolutely. Right on. Well, looking forward to the next time. Yes, me too. Well, enjoy the rest of your Mother's Day, which I know there's only seven-ish hours left for you up there in <laughs> Canada. We're gonna, we're gonna. I'm going to pick up dinner now, so we're right on. We're good. Yeah. Okay, man. Take it easy. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thanks.